to let you know that I'm starting a new sermon series. As you see on the screen up here, if you're watching on live stream, follow me. In my opinion, those two words, follow me, are two of the most powerful words in the Bible and probably the entire universe. Jesus offers this invitation, two simple words, follow me. And what we're going to do over the next probably couple of months is we're going to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to look at the different times where Jesus extends this invitation to follow me. And what you'll probably realize is that he offers this more often than you might think. It's not just with the fishermen leaving their boats or with the tax collector leaving his tax booth. When Jesus says, follow me, there's kind of a progression in the gospel. So we're going to study through that. I'm really excited about this sermon series. As I've prepared for it, I'm thinking about the context of the, what the Bible was written in and how we can kind of place ourselves in that context. But I also think about the 21st century and what this means to us today and what do we think of in the 21st century when we hear the word follow. You're going to follow someone or I'm following so-and-so, fill in the blank, what do you think of? You probably think of social media. This is not changing, Jerry, but it should go to the next slide. Right here, you see it on the screen, social media, boom, there we go. Uh, That's what I think of, and, and I think that's what a lot of people think of when you hear the language of following somebody. Whether you have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or some of you on Snapchat or we have our own YouTube channel, which everybody that's watching on live stream is watching on the YouTube channel. And on social media, you can follow somebody or something. You can follow a church or a company or whatever it may be. And if you're on social media, I'll just give me an idea today. How many of you have some social media account? Raise your hand. Be honest. Okay. I would say that's a majority of the people in the room. Now, who do you follow on social media? Who are the type of people that you follow? Well, maybe you follow friends, family, coworkers, your student. Maybe you follow people that you go to school with. Or if you're like me and you're a little bit older, maybe you follow people that you went to school with many years ago. Uh, maybe you follow people that uh, you just admire, acquaintances. And I discovered last week when we had this uh, Uh, dinner and Bible study with the youth group, I I had the privilege of leading the discussion for the high school group, and what they pointed out to me is that a lot of people follow celebrities. How many of you follow celebrities? Uh, I'm not even going to ask because you won't admit it if you do, but a lot of you, I know you do, you follow celebrities, and and that's just kind of the way it is. We follow people, and what does it mean to follow somebody on social media? Is there any level of commitment? Not really. I would say it's a pretty low-level commitment. You follow somebody, that means you're going to see their post, see their pictures, keep up with their life, what's going on, what events they have coming up, and then you might see their opinion on every controversial issue there could possibly be. That's what it means to follow somebody. And I'm a little slow when it comes to technology, especially social media, but I discovered something this summer that's been a blessing to my life, and it's this feature unfollow. Did you know on Facebook you can unfollow somebody without unfriending them or blocking them so they never even know it? But if, they're, if you're tired of seeing their content, just click the unfollow button. That's what social media is. So when we think of 
following somebody in the 21st century, I think of social media, and it's as simple as clicking a follow button, or if you're tired of them, click the unfollow button, and that's it. It's a very low-level commitment. But what we're going to read as we go through these gospel stories is when Jesus uses that language, follow, he says, follow me, it's not about liking posts or sharing posts. What Jesus is offering through this invitation is a way of life. And that's what I want to discover or maybe even rediscover for some of us as we go through this series. And we're going to start today in John chapter 1. I've already read the first few verses in our scripture reading, but we're going to read back through it right now. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51 is the text. And this is what we would consider uh, 48 hours in the life of Jesus. You're going to notice, and I'll read verse 35 again, those first three words I'm reading from a New Revised Standard Version. It says, the next day. What John, the writer of this gospel, is showing us is that what takes place is within just a few days span. And the text we're looking at today is just two days, 48 hours in the life of Jesus. And it starts with that phrase, the next day. John again was standing with two of his disciples. John is John the Baptist. He watched Jesus walk by and he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. He's already been telling people that he's not the Messiah, but the Lamb of God is here. He's coming and he's going to take away the sins of the world. And now he sees Jesus again and he points that out. And then in verse 37, two disciples heard him say this. And then there's that language again, they follow Jesus. Now, right now, we don't know who these two disciples are. They're unnamed. But what we do know from this part of the text is that these two disciples are going to make a life-altering decision. They've been following John the Baptist. He's been their rabbi. He's been their teacher. And now... Because of John, he's encouraging them to go. They stopped following John, and now they're following Jesus. They're following him, but they're not quite his disciples yet, but they are moving in the direction that he's going physically. In verse 38, I want to really hone in on this this morning. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you looking for? Now, I'm reading from a New Revised Standard Version, and that's the way it's translated. What are you looking for? If you're reading from an NIV, it may say, what do you want? Or an ESV translates it, what are you seeking? Either way you phrase it, Jesus is asking this question. These two guys start following him. He kind of meets them in the middle. He turns around, and he asks them this question, what are you looking for? Pretty much any given week in my household, there is a good chance that one evening, at least one evening, maybe more than that, my wife is going to come out to the living room and she's going to say, or she's going to ask me this question, what are you looking for? Because usually I'm turning the couch upside down, I'm flipping bank, blankets and toys, and I'm looking for the remote control. I live in a house with two little kids and a four-year-old boy that thinks it's funny to hide the remote so that when I try to sit down at night, watch a football game or something, I can't find it anywhere. So usually you hear that question, what are you looking for? I'm looking for the remote. And if I'm asking the question, and I can say this now because my wife attends the second service, but when I ask her, what are you looking for, it's always, have you seen my phone? 
Somehow she can't keep up with where she puts her phone. So when I ask, what are you looking for? She's looking for the phone. I'm looking for the remote. That's a common question in my household. When Jesus asks these two disciples, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? What's he really asking? He's not asking them, are you lost? He's not saying, hey, can I help you find somebody or find wherever you're going? What is Jesus asking These two guys stop following John the Baptist, and they start following him. What are you looking for? Maybe he's asking them, are you looking for the type of rabbi that's going to be like a Pharisee? Are you looking for somebody that has the correct interpretation of the law and that he knows how to teach the law and put people in their place, and that's what they're looking for? Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for a zealot? Are you looking for somebody who is ready to fight back against the Romans? The Roman government and the soldiers had just basically forced their way into Jewish territory, and they were the occupying force at the time, and there were some zealots who wanted to fight back. And maybe when Jesus says, what are you looking for, that's implied. Are you looking for a zealot? Are you looking for a Pharisee? What are you really looking for? As I study for each sermon, after I do a lot of other reading and, and kind of doing my own initial thoughts, I'll read through commentaries to see what other Bible professors and scholars have said about the text. And there's, a, there's an old commentator named William Barclay. Maybe some of you know that name. And in his commentary on John chapter 1, he writes this, that that question that Jesus asked these two disciples, what are you looking for? is the most foundational question in life. And the more that I've studied this text, especially verse 38 and then the whole scene there, I think I agree with Barclay that this is an incredibly important question for all of us to ask ourselves. So imagine yourself following Jesus, and he turns to you, and he asks the same question, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And ask yourself that. What are you looking for in life? Are you looking for pleasure? Are you looking to make a lot of money and to be happy? Are you looking for entertainment? Are you looking to make a name for yourself? Are you looking for security? Are you looking for somebody to tell you that everything's going to be all right? Are you looking for healing? Maybe that's what you're looking for. Are you looking for your freedom and your rights and you're ready to fight for that? What are you looking for in life And then to take that question further, what are you looking for in Jesus? If you've said yes to those two words at some point in your life, follow me, what are you looking for in Jesus? Are you looking for a free ticket into heaven? Well, Jesus provides that, but he also provides more than that. Are you looking for something to do on Sundays? Are you looking for that physical healing or that spiritual healing? What are you looking for in Jesus? Are you looking for a moral guide? What are you looking for in Jesus? Are you looking for somebody to give you a way of life? Not just something that you agree with and you like and you share on social media. What are you really looking for in Jesus? And I think that's such a great question. So he asks them that question, what are you looking for in verse 38? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher. And they ask, where are you staying? And what they're asking is not, where do you live? We want to know where you're hanging out. They want, they're asking, where are you staying? Because they want to linger with Jesus a little longer. 
And then Jesus said to them in verse 39, these three simple words, come and see. I love that invitation from Jesus. So far in the Gospel of John, if you have a Bible that has red letters when Jesus speaks, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of John, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And then come and see. And then it's going to be follow me. But what does Jesus mean by come and see? Well, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about uh, being a part of this church, the Pine Tree Church of Christ. And because I'm a preacher here and, you know, we move from one place to another to specifically be members at this church, sometimes people will ask me, what's the Pine Tree Church of Christ all about? And I can tell them, I can tell them to look on our website, and on our website we have our seven commitments, we have pictures of our ministry staff, we have pictures of our elders, we have uh, information about youth group, children's ministry. I post the sermons online every week. You can find out about our church by looking online. You can look at our Facebook page and see what we're posting. You can look at our YouTube page and look at our videos. You can do all of those things and find out a little bit about who we are. But ultimately, if somebody wants to know about the Pine Tree Church of Christ, I'm going to say, come and see. You are more than welcome. Everybody is welcome here. You are more than welcome to come and join us on any Sunday because I want you to meet people in person. I don't want you to just read about us online. I want you to meet people in person and to worship with us. And I know with COVID that there's some restrictions involved in that. Some of you who are watching on live stream, this is not to make you feel guilty in any way. I'm just saying on a normal circumstance, that's what I would say. You want to know what we're about? Come and see. When I was looking into going to college many years ago, and I know that every senior every year goes through this, you make the decision you do want to go to college, you have to narrow it down to discover where you want to go. And I went to ACU, so this is a picture of ACU. And when I was looking into ACU, they sent me some pamphlets. They had a website. I looked into all of that. But if a university is recruiting you, what do they normally want you to do? They want you to come. Come and see. Come to the university. Come for a weekend. Come for a tour. Come check it out in person. Come and see. This happened to us five years ago when we were looking into buying a new van. My wife was pregnant with my son, so we already had Addie, and Christian was not yet born, and we knew that we had to expand a little bit for vehicle size, and we had a certain budget that we were going to work with, and I discovered that there was a used minivan that I think I want to buy, or I thought I wanted to buy. So I called the Toyota dealership in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I knew the guy that sold cars there, and so we set up a meeting. He got the van ready for me, and it was going to be one of those come-and-see moments where I was going to test drive this minivan, and I did. I got in the car. I drove it down Interstate 30, three or four miles. I exited, and I came back, and I thought, well... For this price, this van will probably do. But then when I got back, the salesman said, hey, I've got this other van fired up for you, ready to go, and I want you to take it for a test drive just to compare the two. And I knew this guy, so I thought, okay, fine, I'll do whatever he's asking. And I got in that van. It was July. It was Texas. It was extremely hot. And the first thing that I noticed is this other van that he's showing me the air conditioner works really well. Like I, that right there sold me on it. But then I drove it down the interstate and 
It was a much better vehicle, and I wound up leaving the dealership that day. I had abandoned the uh, used car that I came for, and he wrote me into a three-year contract on a new lease on this 2015 Toyota Sienna van. And he did it all by just saying, hey, come and see. Take it for a test drive. There's something about those three words, come and see. And that's what Jesus says to these disciples. They start following him. He says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? Then he just said, come and see. And then they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then verse 40 through 42 One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So now, out of these two disciples, we at least get one of their names. It's Andrew. We don't know who the other disciple is, but many people speculate that it could be John, the author of this gospel. So maybe it's Andrew and John, but we know for sure Andrew is one of them. In verse 41 He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed or Christ. The first thing that Andrew does when he receives this invitation from Jesus to come and see is he went and he found his brother Simon and he said, you got to come and see also. We found the Messiah. And I've heard other preachers say this before, so I'm borrowing this phrase, but one person at a time telling one person at a time. If you look at John chapter 1, that's actually a great model for disciple-making and for evangelism. Andrew discovers Jesus. He has this interaction with Jesus, and he's not going to keep it to himself. He's going to tell one person. What would it look like if you just told one person? One person at a time, telling one person at a time. Andrew tells Simon. And then Andrew becomes known. We don't know a whole lot about Andrew, but he is the guy who brings people to Jesus. You look at John chapter 6, you look at John chapter 12, those are really the only other times Andrew plays any sort of role, and each time his role is to bring people to Jesus. That's not a bad reputation to have. He's the guy who brings people to Jesus, and so he brings his brother Simon to Jesus, and then in verse 42, he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So we know who Peter is. I mean, most people in the world, even if they don't identify as Christians, probably have heard of Peter from the Bible, who was initially named Simon. And in the Bible, when there's a name change, that's a significant moment. Abram becomes Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel. The Apostle Paul was originally Saul, and now we know him as Paul. Simon becomes Peter. Jesus renames him. He's helping him live into the name that he is going to be. Jesus sees something in these guys. That all takes place in one day. You move on to the next verse. In verse 43, it says, the next day. So now we get day two of this text we're looking at today. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him those two really important words that we're looking at this sermon series, follow me. Simple as that. Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, which 
And the synoptic gospels are from Capernaum, so this is probably where they're originally from. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. So Philip does what Andrew does. He immediately goes and finds one other person to tell him, Hey, look, we found him, the Messiah the one about whom Moses and all the prophets and the law wrote about, he's here. One person telling one person at a time. Andrew tells Simon. Philip tells Nathaniel, which leads me to another question is, who is Nathaniel? If you read through Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, every time the 12 apostles are listed, Nathaniel's not in it. Who is Nathaniel? Well, in those lists of the 12, It's usually Philip and Bartholomew. So some people believe that maybe uh, Nathaniel's other name was Bartholomew, and that's why he's listed as Bartholomew in the Synoptic Gospels. We don't know that for sure, but we're introduced to this guy named Nathaniel, and then Philip says, come see Jesus, and then in verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That might tell you a little bit about the town that Jesus grew up in. Can anything good come out of there? And it also might tell you a little something about Nathaniel and his knowledge of Scripture. Because he's probably thinking the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. The Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, instead of getting into all of that, what does Philip say to him? Philip says, verse 46, come and see. Where does Philip get that from? Who are, who's already said, come and see? Jesus. So Philip now is already starting to imitate what he sees in Jesus. And that's what discipleship is all about. Becoming like your rabbi. Imitating your rabbi, your teacher, and every say, everything that they say, think, or do. And so Philip is already starting to imitate Jesus. And he's saying, come and see. When we lived in Africa... Uh, we were only there for five or six months, but we were supposed to be there longer. This was several years ago. I, I had two guys that were younger. They were in their early 20s, and they were really interested in cross-cultural missions, overseas missions. And they would email me and Facebook me, and they wanted to know what life was like in Africa, what it was like doing cross-cultural missions. And I would email them back and send them pictures and try to explain it to them, but I always ended the email by saying, if you really want to know, Come and see. Come for yourself. Buy a flight. Come here. And then you will see for yourself. And those two guys actually wound up buying a flight, and they came for about two weeks and experienced it for themselves. That's what Jesus says to those first two disciples. It's what Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. And then in verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. I love Nathaniel's response at just that. Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel's really excited here. If you look at the progression of the names that Jesus is called, he's Rabbi, he's Messiah, and now, now he is 
Son of God. He is King of Israel. In verse 49, Nathanael replied, or he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. Basically, Jesus is saying, we're just getting started. Verse 51, he says, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, which is a reference to Jacob's dream in Genesis chapter 28. We study initially these follow-me statements, these invitations of the disciples. We see really three things from Jesus here is, First, those words, follow me. The question that he asked those two disciples, what are you looking for in that invitation? Come and see. As I've been reflecting on and studying through John chapter 1 and and what this text means and how it correlates to today, I was reminded of a story that I heard that took place about, about a decade ago. It was a group of church leaders, and they were sitting in a panel, and it was at a, some sort of leadership conference or something like that. And they had this panel going, doing a question and answer session. And there was a guy named Peter Sangi that came up to ask a question. And he asked these church leaders, and this, again, about 10 years ago, he said that according to his research, the two top-selling books in America at that time were books on economics, on money, and books on Eastern religions. So basically, not books on Christianity. And then he took the question and he said, listen, why is it that we live in this country that prides itself on being a Christian nation and the two top-selling books are on money and other religions? The people, the church leaders that were sitting there on that panel were just quiet for a second, and then one very wisely said, well, we'd be curious to hear why you think that is. So he flipped the question back on Peter Sangi, and Peter Sangi then said, well, listen, I'm not a Christian, but I can tell you my opinion on it, that I think that these books on Eastern religions are selling more than books on Christianity is because they are offering themselves as a way of life. And he said, in my opinion, from an out, as an outsider's perspective, Christianity is offering itself as just a set of beliefs either you agree with or you disagree with. And when I heard that story and his observation from an outside perspective, it made me think about what it is that we're offering to people. When it comes to following Jesus, it's much more than just saying, yeah, I agree with with that. I'll share that post. I'll like that post. Following Jesus, what he's offering when he says these words, follow me, what Jesus is offering is a way of life. And one of the things that I'm going to talk about in this sermon series is that every time Jesus says those two words, follow me, there's a certain level of excitement and adventure, but there's always a death that is involved. In order to follow Jesus, there's something that you're going to have to die to. So in light of this passage today, I want to challenge you to reflect on just two questions this week. This is your challenge. Write it down on your phone. If you have a pen or paper, write it down. And I really encourage you to reflect on these two questions as we leave today. One of them is, what are you looking for in life? Jesus asked that question to those first two disciples. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Ask yourself that. What, what am I looking for in life? And then ask yourself this other question. 
what are you looking for in Jesus? What are you looking for in following Jesus? Well, when I first asked myself those two questions, we popped that second question up, what are you looking for in Jesus? When I first asked myself those two questions, I gave pretty typical answers. But as the last few weeks have gone on, and I was just reflecting on these two questions, what are you looking for in life? What are you looking for in Jesus? Asking myself that, I started to get a little more honest with myself. And this can be revealing. You know, Adam, you talked about some, some questions or some thoughts to think about, about where you're at in life and what are you going to do about it. And it kind of goes along with the same, same thought here. What are you looking for? And what are you looking for in Jesus? And be honest with yourself. And how you answer this question will probably determine what you say to Jesus when you hear him say those words, follow me. As we look at this series, follow me, what does it mean to say yes to those two words from Jesus? Some of you, maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus, and so saying yes to following Jesus for you might mean that you begin by crossing the line, by taking that step and being born again of the water and the Spirit and being baptized into Christ and saying yes to Jesus that way. Some of you, you're 35 years old, 40 years old, 45, 65, 75, however old you are. Maybe you've been on this faith journey for a long time. And I think it's important that wherever you're at on the faith journey, to hear those two words, follow me, and to recommit, and to continually say yes. What does it mean for you at this point in your life and in your faith journey to say yes to that invitation, follow me? If you need any help or if we can talk with you about anything today, we're going to stand back up. I want to encourage you to stand right now. Tony's going to come back up here and lead us in song. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds him.